Have you ever known what a present was before it was given to you and you weren't supposed to know? I'm guessing that's probably happened. Maybe it was when you were a child and you had knowledge of your mom's secret Christmas gift hiding places. And when they left the house, you would go on a mad hunt to see if you could discover what your Christmas presents were going to be. Or maybe you overheard parts of a conversation that you weren't supposed to hear, and you were able to piece together a a pretty good idea of what you were going to get. Or maybe you were that kid who was really, really good at shaking the boxes and figuring out what was inside. Or maybe you were really underhanded. You were good at pulling back the tape and unfolding to see what was on the end and then putting it back without somebody knowing. I'm sorry if I'm giving the kids any ideas for next Christmas. Didn't think about that when I was plotting this out. But regardless, maybe that's who you were. You were really good at present espionage. Regardless, I think every one of us has had some gift that we weren't supposed to know about. Now there is, of course, a negative part of this experience. When you know what's beneath the paper, there is a bit of acting that is required to give the illusion that you haven't been snooping to find out what your presents were going to be. But that probably isn't the hardest part of what I've been describing. You know what you're going to receive, but you have to wait. That's the hardest part. Whether it is a child waiting for a toy or a game that they've been begging for, or maybe for the gentleman, a tool that you've got a project waiting for in the garage, and you know it's under the tree, but you can't use it. You know what's going to happen. You know you will receive the present. You know it's there. It's under the tree. It's waiting for you. The time just needs to arrive, and then you can experience that gift. Well, as I said several times as we were taking a break from Genesis and Advent, we could not have come to a better point in the story of Abraham and Sarah to break off for Advent than we did because we have been following the drama of God taking so long to fulfill the promise of a child for Sarah and Abraham. And in the text, we have, we have felt the tension that is there. And it's meant to make us feel like it isn't going to come. Like it's taking forever. Like we're never going to be able to experience what we know is waiting for us. And we feel as though maybe, as we read the text, that maybe the promise of God will fail. And even though we have a whole bunch of pages in our Bibles after Genesis we might still feel like the story's going to fail. We know what is being anticipated in Genesis, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But we do know what is going to happen. Isaac is going to arrive, and for all the buildup and importance of this whole thing, we get just seven verses today to look at. 
all this buildup. Genesis has been doing this for chapters and chapters and years and years of Abraham's life. And when Isaac comes, seven verses. But yet, even though it's short, we're going to break it up into three points, and we're going to do our best to derive some application for our lives from this short passage. So the first thing that we are going to see is that this whole thing is the work of the Lord. We, we see that God has been in control of the situation this entire time. He, he opened Sarah's womb and does as he promised in his timing. Not in their timing, in his timing. He brings the child of the promise. It did not happen with any human contriving. In fact, we've seen in the story that anytime human contriving is involved, it messes up the works, right? But when Isaac comes, we see here that it is the work of God. God was in control of the story, and he will continue to be. Secondly, we see that Abraham is obedient to what God has told him. There have been instances in the story where Abraham has gotten off track. And we read here, though, that Abraham is faithful to God. He has seen the covenant faithfulness of God, and he responds by being faithful to what God has commanded him to do. And finally, we see that the fulfillment of the promise brings great joy to Sarah and Abraham. The promise has been fulfilled. What they thought was impossible, God has now done in their lives. And so they rejoice in what God has done for them. And so with those checkpoints plotted out for us, let's start looking at this short passage as we arrive in verses 1 and 2. As I said, when I was lining out those points, this is the work of the Lord, period. I have been driving home a particular point throughout the story of Abraham, and I hope you've caught it. I hope you maybe even know already what that point is going to be before it's going to come out of my mouth again. The story of Abraham and Sarah is not a comeback story. We are not meant to feel that that they've got a chance here of doing this on their own. It is a resurrection story. We are meant to understand that her womb is dead. They are old and this can't happen. And God is the only one who can bring life. That is the point of this whole drama that has been unfolding. And what we are going to see is important. God is faithful to do what he said he would do. And that is driven home for us here in the beginning of chapter 21. The story doesn't tell us that Abraham and Sarah get together and there was finally a conception. Abraham and Sarah have been husband and wife for a very long time. If Sarah was going to conceive by her own ability, it would have surely happened by now. But we know the story. The Lord needs to intervene. It's his work. Now there's something very significant that you've probably forgotten. I forgot about it and I preached about it. So we have to review real quick. If you'll remember back to before Advent started, we read a story about Abraham and Abimelech. And Abraham let Abimelech think that Sarah was his sister. And so she was taken into the house of Abimelech. She was separated from Abraham 
the one who was going to be the father of the child of the promise, and God had told them that the child of the promise was going to be coming within a year. So their being separated was a very bad thing. Well, I'm going to put up here on the screen so we can see it again, how chapter 20 ended, right before we come to what we read this morning. Notice the clear message that is here. God closes and opens the womb. Those words about the house of of Abimelech, man, that's a hard word to say. Those words about the house of Abimelech conceived and bore Abraham. That's the wrong passage. That one's right. The one I have here is wrong. The words that we see about the house of Abimelech are showing that God is the one who does this work. He opens and closes the womb. And so these words are right at the end of the last chapter as we come, into, come back to what we saw today. So we see that God opens and closes wombs, and now we have what is happening to Sarah. And so we go from God opening those wombs of the house of Abimelech right into the story of God visiting Sarah. And when we see the idea of God visiting, we see this all throughout Scripture, that God visits people. Well, usually he is either visiting in judgment or he is visiting in mercy. And we saw this in the story of Abimelech. We saw both of it. He visited the house of Abimelech in judgment and closed their wombs. And now, after Abraham prays for them, he visits in mercy. He opens the wombs. And so we see that God visits Sarah, and we know what he's done. He visits her in mercy. Finally, she conceives. And the point I've been driving home all through the story of Abraham is driven home for us in the text here. The Lord did to Sarah. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. God is keeping the promise. The Lord did to Sarah what he said he would do. He isn't going to audible and switch to another plan. Even though they are old and her womb is dead, God has done something miraculous. She conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, just like God said he would do. And there's an important truth here that we have to be sure we do not miss. This isn't just about God keeping his promise to bring about the child of the promise who will eventually lead to Jesus. That's important. That's the main plot. But there's something else underlying that we have to make sure we understand. When we, when we grasp this great story in Scripture, we see that this is not only pointing forward to Jesus being born, but, born, but how he is going to save us. Because you and I are not saved by our own works. We can try on our own, but it is not going to happen. It will not work. And so just as the womb of Sarah is dead until God visits her in mercy, you and I are dead in our trespasses and sins until God visits us in mercy through his word and spirit. Just as the birth of Isaac required the work of God Our new birth in Christ requires the work of God. The story points us not only to the truth of the promise in Christ, but also how God works salvation for his people. Just as 
Sarah's womb was dead and there was no hope. You and I in our sin were dead until we heard the word and the Holy Spirit brought us to life. We're not only seeing the promise, but we're seeing how the promise works. There's an important underlying message in this passage. And so this passage also reminds us of the impossibility of all this when it tells us that she gave Abraham a child in his old age. It's driving home the point one more time. One more time. We've been reading about it the whole time, and so guess gets one last little reminder in there. God is doing this work even in her old age. God has kept his promise, and he has done the impossible. And so with this amazing event, what do we see Abraham do? As we move on to our second point and to the next two verses of chapter 21, we see that he is obedient to God. And the first thing he does is he gives his son the name that God said he would have. Now, if you, if you remember back to before Sodom and Gomorrah, but back before they were destroyed, we saw God visit Abraham and let him know that things were still on track. Sarah was going to give him a child of the promise. That was who the promise would come through. And you know the story. It's a Sunday school special. You know it. What did Sarah do? She hears about this promise that she is going to have a child, and she laughs at it. She can't believe it. And it was at this point that God let them know that the son that they were going to have would be named Isaac. And why? Because the name Isaac means laughter. Now, that's an interesting name to give someone, but Abraham doesn't stray from what God told him to do, and he gives Isaac the name that was ordained by God. Now, the other thing that Abraham faithfully does is he has his son circumcised on the eighth day, and this calls us back again to what we've seen and learned in the book of Genesis so far. Remember what circumcision was. It was a sign of the covenant that God gave to them, and he made a covenant with them. It put a mark on them that they were the people of God. They were set apart. They were different. Now, to our modern minds, it might seem barbaric. It might seem unnecessary, but it was used by God to set his people apart. Now, if you remember back to when the sign of the covenant was instituted, I drew out but because the covenant given to Abraham was about his offspring, they consecrated with circumcision, they consecrated or set apart the instrument of reproduction. That's what this was about. And so setting apart the line of the children to God was why Abraham continued. He is saying that he is setting apart Isaac just as God told him to do. And we remember back to when we saw circumcision. The sign was given to the children. Why? Because even the children were set apart in the family of God. And so these two verses are telling us something about Abraham. We have just seen him be unfaithful in the incident with Abimelech. He didn't listen to God. He did what he wanted to do. But now what are we seeing? That Abraham is now trusting God by faith. Through the experience of waiting Abraham was not perfect, but God was faithful to him. And ultimately, God brought about the promise. And so how does Abraham respond? 
he responds by being obedient to God. Abraham could have easily named Isaac something different. You and I could probably come up with some better names considering the circumstances of Abraham's life. Maybe something that means finally, right? That'd be a good one. Or child of two really old people. There has to be a Hebrew word for that, right? That could have been Isaac's name instead. Or perhaps he could have played on the power and the influence that we've seen Abraham gather throughout the book of Genesis. Maybe he could give Isaac a name that meant prince or son of a powerful king. But what did Abraham do? He gave Isaac the name that was given him by God. He was obedient. Now, Abraham also could have forgotten or refused to do the command of circumcision. It's one thing to have it done to yourself and then having it done to your family and your servants, as we read earlier in the book of Genesis that Abraham did. It's an entirely different thing to do it to your young son, who is your guarantee of a family line continuing. Remember, this isn't modern times with precision instruments and our current sanitary precautions, right? This was a time when an infection could easily be a death sentence. Yet Abraham keeps the command of God and gives Isaac the sign of the covenant, and so he consecrates him. He sets Isaac apart to God. He sets him apart because he trusts God by faith. He believes God, and when he says that he will be the father of many nations, and through him all the nations of the world will be blessed, Abraham shows in his obedience that he believes God. So Abraham has received the promise of God, and now he is trusting him by faith, believing that God will continue to bless him and keep his promises. And as we read in the book of Hebrews, Abraham was looking beyond the moment. He was looking to the promise that salvation would one day come in a Messiah that would come from the line of his son Isaac. He was looking beyond the moment to the greater promise of God to crush the head of the serpent. As we read earlier in Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he exhibited that faith by being obedient to what God had told him to do. He believed God and he obeyed. And so we've seen thus far that God is faithful to his promise and Abraham responds with faithfulness to God But we see in the closing out of the passage that it evokes another response from this couple. They are filled with great joy. And so as we land in verse 5, we are reminded why this is such a joyful occasion. Not only is it amazing that a couple this chronologically challenged has had a baby, but let's consider how long they had to wait. They say good things come to those who wait, but... We have all had to wait for something that felt like it was never going to come. Now imagine sojourning as Abraham and wondering if you would die of old age before God would finally fulfill the promise of giving you a child. I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like, but God, at 100 years old, fulfills his promise to Abraham. 
And it isn't just the promise that would give them a child that we see fulfilled. Back when we saw the laughter of Sarah and, and God established that the child would have the name that means laughter, I mentioned something about that laughter, that God was doing something with the name of Isaac, that he was going to take Sarah's laughter of derision, essentially a mocking of God, and he was going to turn that laughter into joy. He would take derision and by his promise give them hope and peace and joy. And that's what God did. God did. And she gives credit to him. God has made laughter for her, she says. But notice that she also says that everyone who hears it will laugh over me. Not a laugh of derision, but a laugh of joy. It's such good news. Everyone who hears it will laugh. It is so unusual and such good news that God would bring life from her dead womb that the joy will overflow beyond just Abraham and Sarah and bring joy to others also. And I'm sure this was true in Sarah's day. I'm sure she told the story and people had joy that she had a child at such an age. But does it not also bring great joy to us? Isn't this story ultimately the story of our salvation? That God in Christ has saved us. This story points forward in so many ways. Sarah was barren. But what's more barren than the womb of Sarah? The womb of a virgin. And we have celebrated how she conceived just two days ago. The story of Sarah points forward to Christmas and points forward to the joy we celebrate right now, remembering that Christ has come to save us as his people. It was a promise of great joy to them, but it's also a promise of great joy to the people of God from generation to generation to generation to generation. It's a story of salvation, a story of hope, a story of peace, story of great joy. And so the whole passage closes out, and we are reminded at the amazing nature of this whole thing, one more time, the whole thing we've been drawing out, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? It's unbelievable, right? They've been married for decades. They've been trying to have children for a very, very long time. Who would have told Abraham that he would have a child in his own age? I'll tell you who, God told him. God told him, and he did it. The sovereign Lord of all creation who visited Sarah in mercy and brought life to her womb. That's who would tell Abraham he would have a child. And he's the only one who could do it. It was impossible, but God did it. This resurrection story has been completed. And it is the story of the people of God. God brings salvation where there is death. In his mighty and sovereign hand, hold the keys of hell and death, and he is in control, and he can open the womb. He can bring dead hearts to life, just as he did for Sarah. This wouldn't have been a good story if Sarah was in her 20s. It wouldn't have been much of a story in her 30s. It gets slightly interesting in her 40s and 50s, but with Abraham being 
100, and Sarah being in her 90s, this becomes a story that only God can accomplish. It isn't a comeback story, it's a resurrection story. And it is a story that resonates throughout history of how God rescues his people from their sin and unbelief. And so, as we contemplate God fulfilling his promise to Abraham, I want us to consider two points of application to take into the world in the coming week. First, remember that God works in his timing, and often that timing isn't fast. And it isn't when we think it should happen. And that is so difficult for us. We can be such an impatient people. But we see throughout the whole of Scripture that God works his plan in his time. And as I said, this is, this is tough. This is difficult for us. We want to know answers now. We want healing now. We want to be holier now. We want the magic bullet for everything. And yet as we've studied in Genesis, that's not how this works. That's not how God works. Think through our journey through the story of Abraham and his waiting for the child of the promise. God had the power to open the womb of Sarah long before he did. But he had a purpose to fulfill. He had something to teach Abraham and he had something to teach us. Waiting on the timing of God causes us to be dependent on him and helps us to understand that his ways are not our ways. Waiting on the timing of God helps us to learn that he will work all things together for good for those who love him. So may we be a people who wait on the Lord in faithfulness and in hope, trusting that his timing will be perfect for us and that even though it's hard, he will use it to grow us in holiness. Secondly, let the fulfilled promises of God drive you to obedience. As we saw in the life of Abraham, God is faithful even when, we, even when we're not. Even when it seems as though Abraham doesn't believe the promise will ever come, what does God do? He continues in faithfulness to Abraham. And God is faithful to us. We are his people, and despite our sin, despite our failure, we have a promise of salvation. Not because of anything that you or I have done, but because he laid a hold of us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day, we can look to what has been done for us in him and know that our sins are forgiven and that we have eternal life. And because of that salvation that God has worked in us, in history, you have that reality to live in light of that you are his child and he has laid hold of you and will not let go. And so just as the fulfillment of the promise drove Abraham to follow God in obedience, may the truth of God's mercy in your life drive you to live in obedience to God's commands. Understanding the love that he has shown us motivates us to love him and our neighbor it's that gospel, that good news that motivates us to serve God. We have received the promise of God, just as Abraham did. And so may we step into his world this week and in the coming new year with a desire to serve God in light of the grace and mercy 
that he has shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.